The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about uh, what I touched on a little bit last week, but now we have a real expert <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> Aside from me talking about my grandfather walking, working from age six and walking through the snow in his bare feet to support his family, um, my expert today is Lowell Ponte. He is the author of the new book called The Inflation Deception, Six Ways Government Tricks Us and Seven Ways to Stop It. And we're going to be looking at that as well as the, what I, as what I started to talk about last week, which was Occupy Wall Street this protest that has only grown tremendously in the past week, um, spreading to other cities and countries and so on. So it seems to me that we need to understand what's going on and what we should do about it if we're not one of those people or if we're deciding whether to be one of those people, you know, protesting. Um, There's uh, one of the signs that um, some of the people, the protesters, were carrying was a job is a right. Capitalism doesn't work. Workers' World Party. And, you know, that was something that I was talking about, um, I mentioned uh, last week, where, um, you know, this idea that a job is a right, that we are entitled to a job. Where does that come from? I, I, I don't... <laughs> I, somehow, I don't think that we were born with um, with that tattooed on our forehead somewhere. So let's start off with that with my guest, Lowell Ponte, and welcome to the show. Well, Dr. Carroll, it's a pleasure to be here, and this is a very comfortable couch. <laughs> well, good. I am so glad people get to be here every day and, and join in this experience. The Workers' World Party uh, is made up of people so far to the left that they would not fit in the Communist Party USA. They mm. literally support the communism of North Korea if that gives you some perspective. So when they say a job is a right, yes, the people in North Korea all have jobs. We call it slavery. Hmm. And it is um, it's rather strange. Of course, we saw just in the last 24 hours or so the big name of Brzezinski, the former policy, foreign policy advisor to Jimmy Carter. In fact, he was our national security advisor. Uh, say that the rich should be identified in effect, should have a yellow star of David sewn onto their clothing so that wherever they walk, wherever they go, people can identify them and point at them and say, that's a rich person, get him. Wow. I, I mean, this is, of course, he did it in a more subtle and dignified way, but as many have noted, that's what it comes down to. So we have class war with a vengeance. 
Uh, yes, no, I just want to point out one little irony here, which uh, I wonder if things are going to change, but, you know, a lot of times the rich or the wannabe rich um, w- do wear, ride around in, live in status symbols. And that is, you know, starting to take its toll. And at the height of the purported prosperity during the Bush years, uh, we began thinking, all of us began thinking of ourselves as rich because an ordinary house was now worth a million dollars. One of the lessons is America once upon a time was persuaded to accept an income tax because we were assured it would apply only to the rich. Mm. We were persuaded to accept an alternative minimum tax because they said, oh, this will only get those rich people who have avoided taxes. Now, for a third time, Lucy has set up the football and said, come on, Charlie Brown, kick this. The problem is, now that we've dumped $5 trillion of money printed out of thin air stimulus into the economy, it's now frozen, but it soon will thaw, we're going to see massive inflation, and probably, Dr. Carroll, we will all get to be rich. That is, everybody will earn a million dollars a year, but it will be like mm-hmm. Weimar Germany after World War One. You'll be lucky to be able to buy a cup of coffee with it. But mm-hmm. it won't have much purchasing power, but that tax set up to tax only the rich will now apply to you. Mm-hmm. And so so the, a tax trap is being laid here out of all this envy. Uh, this is why when God wrote the Ten Commandments, two of them were, Thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not covet. Human beings have this inborn tendency, if they think they can get away with it, to want what the next-door neighbor has, and if they think they can take it from him, even with the help of a politician or government power, they will do so. Uh, But when you have a society where people are looking at each other as potential meals to be eaten, Mm. this is probably the, the deepest reason why we find cannibalism such a major prohibition. You don't want others looking at you as if you were a meal. And yet now we have, in class warfare, a whole political party dedicated to uh, saying, gee, look at that rich person over there. Let's eat him. Let's Mm -hmm. take what he has and give it to you. This does not make for a healthy society, especially when those rich people, the top 3%, are paying some phenomenal percentage. I think they're paying 52% of all income taxes, providing 36% of all charitable donations, helping supply two-thirds of all jobs in the society. If we eat them, the question is, when we're done, when, when we've finally killed off free enterprise, what kind of enterprise do you think will be left? And the answer is either unfree enterprise, as in North Korea, or no enterprise at all. Hmm. The difficulty is, ultimately, a society has to be built on people actually making things, But we now have a society where 51% of the people pay no income tax at all, where 45% of households are getting some kind of government check. Uh, By the time the baby booms retire, that will top 60%. Yes, I'm sorry, I don't don't mean to interrupt. No, no, I was just just sort of ooing and aahing at 40. I hadn't realized it was 45%. Oh, and, and there are now twice as many people employed by government are employed in all of manufacturing in the U.S. combined. Remember when this was a country that made things? Yeah. Now, what, now, what exactly does government make, other than war, I mean? Government really yeah. doesn't make much of anything. It just takes from the people who do the making 
and yet now it is ideologically declaring those people to be enemies. Well, to, to give you an example, I once did a piece in the Wall Street Journal on this theme, and that is Republicans have been accused of not going along when liberals have proposed hate crimes legislation, saying it should be a crime to engage in hate against gays, lesbians, people of odd religions, whatever. Uh, and all of that has an understandable basis. I suggested in my Wall Street Journal piece, Republicans, the next time that comes up, should agree. They should say, we are happy to join you Democrats on the other side of the aisle in expanding hate crimes legislation. Oh, by the way, we would like to add one other category of crime, and that is hate crimes based on class. Anyone who says, hate the rich, tax the rich, soak the rich, go get the rich, uh, or as many of these young protesters have been encouraged to say, let's get the pitchforks and kill them or mark them, or put yellow stars or yellow dollar signs on them, or whatever. Um, if we are going to be fair about it, isn't hate based on class also a form of hatred? Yeah. Uh, but, but when you think about that, I mean, ponder the implications. Uh, we would basically put out of work all the speech writers for organized labor and the Democratic Party. We'd have to put them into job retraining programs, mm. because that's all they do is preach that kind of division. To be fair, though, the Democratic Party in particular has mastered that. I'm speaking as a libertarian, by the way, not a Republican. I could say equally bad things about Republicans, if you wish. Um, but when we engage in this kind of hate preaching, uh, we drag the society down to a terrible level, and we pit people against each other in a very, very destructive way. Yes. Now, what do you think, I mean, why do you think that this all coalesced at this particular moment in time? I mean, you know, um, obviously you have um, a financial and an, um, a political and so on perspective. I mean, as a, as a psychiatrist and as a psychiatrist who uh, specializes in analyzing the impact of media, um, I, I would say, from my perspective... Um, it has to do with so many of these of these TV shows, even more than movies, but like um, you know sh shows that that show movie stars or um, famous people or, or or sports stars for that matter, um, famous people, famous rich people, and um, really going into well television shows and magazines too. You know all the media that has been increasingly focused on celebrities over the past, what, decade or so. Oh, sure, but remember, um, remember Hollywood in particular, and you know this only, only too well as a psychiatrist to the stars, it is an international town. The movies are an international business, and especially out beyond the borders of the U.S., uh, looking at the U.S. Uh, with envy, with scorn, with contempt, with disapproval, is a big business. This is why you don't see very many wildly pro-U.S. movies being put out. The proper orientation of a movie is now to have a good guy and a villain, and the villain is always depicted as identifiably American. For example, the movie Avatar that was just out. Oh. Clearly the bad guys destroying the planet were stereotypic Americans. 
Mm-hmm. And those oh, those fighting against them were tantamount to Native Americans or other tribal peoples mm-hmm. who were noble and virtuous and, and innocent and pure and so on. And while there may be an element of truth in that, I mean, we are the Roman Empire of our times. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what young people are really objecting to is I see a lot of parallel between the Tea Party on the right and much of this activism on the left, not by the professional organizers like Workers' World Party, not by the formal Marxist and socialist radicals, but the ordinary students who come out to this feel the same horror. You remember in the movie The Matrix, there is this wonderful scene where uh, Morpheus, the uh, Fishburne character, says to young Neo before he is given the pills, you've always known there was something wrong with the world. Mm. The things were not really as they appear. It's like a splinter in your mind. Uh, Very, very powerful point, which is why that movie resonated with so many folks like me. I think across the political and social spectrum, most of us know something is desperately wrong. For the students, uh, it has a very direct, tangible element. Like, I, I was born an early baby boomer, and an amusing thing to do is to ask not when you were born, but what was happening nine months before you were born. In my case, nine months before I was born was the month of victory in Europe Day. So I've always thought of myself as a party baby. But with that in mind, uh, you see young people, and we've known from the outset in the baby boom that when it came time for us to collect Social Security, the government will have to find a way to renege because it can't possibly generate enough money to cover 84 million baby boomers as their parents were covered. We we started with 14 people working to cover each retiree under Social Security. That's now down to three. In a few years, it'll be down to two. And soon it will be one person working to support on his back a whole family of retirees on Social Security. I mean, that's where we're headed. Well, I hope my guy works hard. <laughs> yeah, so, so young people realize their future. We need, we need to take a break now. Um, you probably didn't hear the music, but I'm sorry. But it's time for a break. Um, my guest is Lowell Ponte. He is the author of the new book, The Inflation Deception: Six Ways Government Tricks Us and Seven Ways to Stop It. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Stay tuned. This stuff is fascinating, and we all need to know it. So I will be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you ready to go green? 
You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, the name of the show today is Who Are These Occupy Wall Street Protesters Anyway? And What Do They Really Want? And my guest, Lowell Ponte, is uh, is taking us there and more. Um, you know, Lowell, I was saying during the break that there, there have been different signs over the last, uh, I don't know, I guess it's been more things that seem, well, I mean, I guess this Occupy Wall Street protest has kind of uh, particularly been unnerving, but there are signs that, that we're really <laughs> in deep trouble. And, um, well, and and people dimly perceive that, some, some mm-hmm. more acutely than others, but they all perceive that something is desperately wrong, that we are spiraling down, that we may be locked in a death spiral for our culture. And I'll, I'll lay down a little bit of basis for that. Let's look at the students in the protest, for example. Our country, students now have a trillion dollars worth of student loan debt. That student loan debt this year exceeded all credit card debt combined in the country. How are people going to pay that off? Well, if they go into private business, it will be extremely difficult. The average student comes out of college, even even junior college, with a $23,000 student loan debt. The government, thanks to Barack Obama, has taken over that student loan debt, and Mr. Obama has, in essence, made an offer, if you go into government employment, Hmm. student loan debt will be forgiven much more readily than if you work for yourself. This is yet Hmm. more encouragement for enlarging a government that just in the last two and a half years has grown from taking 19.5% of total national productivity, GDP, to 24.5%. In other words, Obama has grown the government by 25% and is now trying to entrench it with new taxes so the government size will not be rolled back. Now, that's a wild deviation from American history, where traditionally it's always been around 19%. Um, as part of that, uh, we also see that, that Ohio State University, they a few months ago did a remarkable study you as a psychiatrist would enjoy, they found that a quarter of college students actually get self-esteem from running up a huge debt, as if huh. being able to do that makes them more important. Huh. But by 28, they realize that debt is a very deep hole, and they then come to regret deeply having run it up and gotten that around their neck. But other Americans are feeling the same kind of stress. We know that the enlargement of government and all this spending is not really working to improve the economy. The chief economist for the Federal Reserve's own bank in St. Louis, Yi Wen, 
did an analysis saying that those trillions of stimulus spending not only didn't help the economy, they actually made it worse Hmm. because they frightened business people out of hiring more and expanding their companies. They caused the business community to just hunker down as if a giant tidal wave of inflation is coming, as indeed it is. Now, to appreciate the debt, not only do we have the spending of everything we bring in as revenue, but 42 cents out of every dollar the government now spends is borrowed. Uh, let, Let me explain exactly what that means. We are borrowing to keep the society operating at a rate of $58,000 a second. Now, now count with me, Dr. Carroll, just so the audience can appreciate. Dot, dot, dot. In those three seconds, the government just ran up another $174,000 of indebtedness that your children and grandchildren will be expected to pay as the bar tab of spendaholic politicians who are accustomed to buying their elections in practical terms. What that means is every hour and ten minutes... We are now borrowing what the U.S. government under Thomas Jefferson in 1803 paid, and we're using inflation-adjusted dollars here, uh, to buy from France the entire Louisiana Purchase, 890,000 square miles of land that today include the states of, let me take a deep breath, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, as well as sizable portions of what today are Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, and the southern parts of Alberta and Saskatchewan. Okay. If you round up to what we now borrow every two hours, you can throw in the state of Alaska and what we paid for it in 1867. In other words, we now borrow every two hours what we once used to buy the entire western two-thirds of the United States west of the Mississippi, or two-thirds of all the land west of the Mississippi, we are borrowing at an astonishing rate. We are now going deeper in debt by about $1.8 trillion a year. We now have indebtedness that exceeds our entire gross domestic product by about half a trillion dollars. Uh, Dr. Um, Lawrence Rogoff at Harvard University put out a book two years ago in which he analyzed and said, you know, virtually every society in history where the debt has reached 90% of the society's productivity has gone under. Mm -hmm. We are now Mm -hmm. well above 100% and climbing, much as Greece is. Uh, In addition, total national debt, including private debt, is now 65 approximately trillion dollars. The entire gross domestic product of the planet and its 7 billion people is only 62 trillion. On top of that, we have uh, unfunded liability for Social Security, government pensions, and other obligations in excess of $120 trillion. And on top of that, we have all the bad private obligations on the books of the world's banks that are known as derivatives. For example, the derivatives that were written from the bad bundled mortgages uh, of, of earlier in this decade or early last decade. So uh, those, those, add up, those add up to an estimated $1.28 quadrillion. We estimated in our earlier book, Crashing the Dollar, How to Survive a Global Currency Collapse, that U.S. indebtedness, including the derivatives the banks don't want tested on their books, that make their basically their books all bad because of that paper, uh, 
average indebtedness of the U.S. is probably in the range of $750 trillion. Now, to understand what that means, doctor, imagine that you're just taking $1 bills out of your wallet and making a stack of them. A stack of $1 bills of $750 trillion $1 bills would reach from here to the planet Venus, 23.5 million miles away, and back. You could make a round-trip stack to Venus, and you would still have 14 stacks of $1 bills between Earth and the moon left over. That's the real indebtedness we're talking about, and you wonder why people dimly understand something is desperately wrong, that we will never be able to pay that debt off without a phenomenon called monetizing the debt, in which we will just turn on the printing press. And you, you know, during this impasse with Congress a couple of months ago, President Obama actually brought financial advisors into the White House where they pulled out an obscure law that is in the Treasury Code that says the Secretary of the Treasury, whom he appoints, uh, has the legal authority to mint platinum coins in any denomination and quantity he authorizes. Hmm. President Obama actually proposed at that meeting, you know, we could mint $1 trillion platinum <laughs> coins and issue enough of them just to pay off the debt. Yeah, to get that's an interesting... His financial advisors looked at him and said, of course you realize if we do that, we will cave in the entire world financial structure. <laughs> and, of course, okay. since President Obama and most of his advisors have never really been in the private sector, I think only 8% of the people he appointed to government office had ever had private sector experience. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them came out of universities, which is wonderful for theoretical thinking, but it doesn't mean they really understand how business or the markets work. Uh, they live in a world of theory where... All they deal with are students who really are f- afraid to disagree with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it's we, very, we, we have a world that, where that, we're in, we're in that, deep, deep trouble. Wait, let me just let me just stop you for a minute. That, that idea that I mean, um, I mean, of course, Obama has had lots of terrible ideas, um, many of which I talked about before he was elected. Um, but but you know, the, the fact that he could have been serious about that. It's very scary that the president of our country could propose something that is so outrageous and dangerous. Is a very scary thought, a very scary fact. Well, it is, but it's no worse than, than deciding you can run a capitalist society by preaching hatred against the capitalists, <laughs> or that you can expect prosperity just by taxing, borrowing, and spending. I mean, this, this is, the old Keynesian idea was you can help revive an economy when it's down with some stimulus spending. But even John Maynard Keynes would have said, of course, you never raise taxes during a down economic time, because that will just drive it further down. And yet the president now is planning to raise trillions more in taxes. By the way, if he's reelected, one of the first things that will happen he has now said if he's reelected and he's a lame duck and he never has to stand for election again, he will never renew the Bush tax cuts. That will immediately raise the tax burden in America by another $2 trillion. Hmm. And you can pretty well kiss any hope of economic recovery goodbye at that point. Uh, the problem is, you see, we need growth to get out of this. We do not have a taxing problem we or a, a revenue problem. We have oodles of revenue. 
uh, we just have a spending problem in which the politicians of both parties are always there ready to run more money off the printing press and spend it. For the Democrats, they want to do it to fund the welfare state. For some Republicans, they want to do it to fund the warfare state. But either way, they want the ability just to create money out of thin air. And at the end of the day, an economy depends on confidence and the willingness of people to invest, to save, to do those old conservative pragmatic things like actually producing goods and services. But we now have academic economists who believe you can run an economy forever just on money manufactured out of nothing. Well, at a certain point, the the remaining people who actually bake things are going to say, you know, I'm going to need more and more and more of those paper dollars you've manufactured out of nothing uh, in exchange for the things I actually had to work to make. Mm -hmm. This is what we call inflation. And in Germany, where they printed literally train loads of dollars out of nothing, it got to where it You could spend your entire life savings to buy a single postage stamp. Hmm. Well, there's the music again. We do need to take another break. uh, When we come back, you will be giving us some ideas of what to do, what to do about all this, I hope. Um, My guest is Lowell Ponte. He is the author of um, several books, the latest one being The Inflation Deception, Six Ways Government Tricks Us, and Seven Ways to Stop It. We're talking today about uh, the economic status of our country and the rest of the world, and uh, this is obviously something that we need to pay attention to. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. That's if you can still uh, pick yourself up off the floor after, you know, my guest, Lowell Ponte, has really put this in, you know, I love your... um, your analogies or the way that you're describing these things, I mean, it really, these are good visuals or good ways to uh, to see just how deep in a hole we are. Um, I mean, and during the break I was saying 
Uh, we do need, of course, I mean, I, this is no secret, of course, I, I've been thinking for, because of Obamacare, because of so many things, um, of course we need someone to replace Obama. It's just that uh, I'm not so sure no star in the Republican Party has come to the fore yet, and, and it's kind of disturbing that in our country, um, you know, there aren't... Uh, there aren't more stars. There isn't someone uh, to come and be a savior for all this mess. I wonder, uh, you know, Donald Trump, who kind of has been halfway in and halfway out, I wonder if he's going to decide that these these people just aren't going to, don't know what they're doing, and I'll, I should step in. What do you well, think? Well, Dr. Uh, uh, Donald Trump is a triumph of that old saying, you know, if you owe the bank $5,000 and can't pay, you have a problem. If you owe the bank $5 billion and can't pay, the bank has a problem. Trump was a master at getting so deep in debt that banks had to bail him out. Uh, so, so he has been a genius at doing that sort of thing. But, of course, Donald Trump also has to survive in a highly politicized world. Even in Los Angeles, a relatively moderate city, a friend of mine once found out what it would cost just to open the simplest little storefront business, uh, and he found you would need 87 permits and approvals hmm. at an average cost of more than $150,000, not counting the bribes that you would have to pay to the appropriate government agents when it got hmm. right down to it to get their permits. Uh, my parents used to be in small business, and every year the California State Board of Equalization person would come around demanding under the table bribes huh. not to hassle them. Um, people do not appreciate how difficult it is to be in business and what an accomplishment. It also helps explain why, as the outgoing head of the Federal Reserve Bank, he just left October 1st, Tom Honig, who for a long time ran the Federal Reserve in Kansas City and their bank, he, um, he, he made as his closing statement to Time magazine that we don't even live in a market economy anymore. It's all crony capitalism. It's all which politicians you know and how big are your political contributions. Hmm. Those are the ones like General Electric who thrive. If you don't do that, then if your competitors do, believe me, they will find a way to bring the government down on you. This is now happening, for example, with Gibson Guitar. Uh, one of the great guitar makers in America, suddenly getting all kinds of government harassment, even SWAT teams coming into their offices, uh, because they are purportedly using an unapproved wood being brought from India. Oh, my uh, God. Now, now exactly the same wood is being imported by their competitors, such as Martin guitar makers. But the difference is the head of Martin is a political contributor to the Democratic Party. The head of Gibson is a political contributor to the Republican Party. Martin doesn't get hassled. Uh, Gibson does. Do we get any message about business in today, uh, what business is like today when we look at that? Anyway, so, okay, news, so does, news about our book. Does news. that mean, I mean, so are you saying that because things are perhaps more politicized now than they were um, when, I mean, I keep bringing up Ayn Rand, but, you know, when, I mean, let's just say capitalism was flourishing. Um, I mean, is capitalism dead because it's, it's, it's there, because it has more to do with bribes and politics than about just working hard and being well, smart. Talking about Ayn Rand's brilliant novel, still I think the best-selling novel in American history, Atlas Shrugged. 
Yes. In that novel, she'd portrayed a strike by the productive who say, we're getting tired of the regulation, the political harassment, the high taxes. We're just quitting. We're just withdrawing from the society. Uh, and, of course, without them, society is brought to its knees because they're right. the ones who actually make the things all the rest of us depend on. Uh, in a sense, that's happening right now. Look around you. Businesses are holding back between 3 and $5 trillion that's on their books. $3 trillion here, another $2 trillion being held overseas to avoid the highest business taxes in the world, 35% that the U.S. collects. Barack Obama has been resisting any and all attempts to provide a tax amnesty to bring that money home because he wants the revenue. Now, my co-author, Craig Smith, believes that President Obama is well-intended. He wants only what's good for America. He's just not very good at doing it. I, on the other hand, having been a young radical myself when I was in college, uh, having been a journalist in Washington, having been a legislative aide in the state legislature in Sacramento, I look at this, and I'm a bit more cynical. I say even if President Obama were just flipping a coin to make his policy occasionally mm -hmm. become a policy that helped the country, but would you see every single policy damaging the country without exception right down the line, you have to say this is not an accident. Yes, absolutely. This is a design. And well, I'm a little more cynical than my co-author. By the way, our book, The Inflation Deception, the good news is it has three whole chapters just of solutions. It has ways we can help ourselves. It even has ways that even if the worst happened, you could still protect your family, your loved ones, your life savings. Uh, the good news, too, this is a 272-page book. Cost nineteen ninety five at the bookstore, but my co-author is a very successful businessman. He's actually retired. He doesn't need any more money. Uh, he lives on a yacht in San Diego. But uh, but he said, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket for my children and grandchildren. So Craig's, in behalf of, of my co-author Craig Smith, we would be happy to give one thousand of your listeners absolutely free postpaid a copy of this book, The Inflation Deception. It won't cost them a penny. Now that's very generous of you, and what do they have to do? They have to call a toll-free number. The toll-free number is 800-630-1494. That's 800-630-1494. I know we just had Columbus Day, but this is not 1492 like Columbus. Mm -hmm. You're in your car, though, I'll bet you can remember it. 800 toll-free number, 630-1494. We just want people reading this so that they are armed, so that they you know, are able to win debates with liberals. This is very heavily documented. I mean, you don't have to take our word for anything. It's all documented in the book. And uh, uh, this will help strengthen the people. It will help. Uh, one thing we absolutely need is it's clear the only way the government can get out of this, the debt it's gotten us into a hole so deep that if you listen carefully, you can hear Chinese voices on the other side. <laughs> you know, they'll never get back $1.35 trillion they've lent to us. Um, the, the, uh, well, well, anyway, you see the point. Well, yes, and I'll give that number again at the end of the show. Okay, I'd appreciate but, it. But, um, but, but the point is we do need understanding that the only way they can get out of this is by printing money and making the paper money you have now worthless. You've got to get a portion of your savings into some form that they can't run off a printing press in Washington. 
If it's in paper money, they can destroy the paper money you're relying on. So you need to get into something they can't destroy that way. It can be antiques. It can be survival food. It can be the biblical and constitutional standard of gold or silver as money. But it has to be something that they cannot manipulate just by printing it. Hmm. That's, that's very interesting. Because it is, um, I mean, every dollar bill you have now, A, has no intrinsic value at all. You can't take it in and trade it for a fixed quantity of anything. And therefore, it's subject to government manipulation in what we call the inflatocracy, the new form of government of, by, and for inflation that we have in this country. Um, so basically, you need to protect yourself from your own money, which is now like holding stock in a company on the verge of insolvency. I mean, that stock could go worthless at any moment, and so you need to protect yourself by diversifying it into something different. Hmm. But anyway, we, we, give, we give advice on that. Uh, so, the, so the main advice is, if we wanted to save the country, we need to go back, among other things, to real money, meaning money that has intrinsic value that the government can't tinker with. I mean, look at the society we now have. Half the people pay no income tax. Nearly half the people or households in the country get a government check. We're going into debt deeper by $58,000 every second. I mean, in an hour that you and I are talking, what does that add up to? Quite a bit, like like $3.5 million more dollars of debt. Or no, pardon me, $210 million of debt. $3.5 million a minute. I apologize for being underslept. I was up doing my belated taxes. <laughs> this week. Uh, sure. So, you if know, you went back to a form of money, um, the government. And, and actually, I know we're coming up to a break, so probably the answer uh, will probably have to come afterwards. But I mean, it, it, it seems it's 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 almost embarrassing to ask, and yet I really want to know the answer. I mean, it seems like I should know the answer, but where? <laughs> Where have all the um, where what's that song? Where have all the something gone? Where have all the flowers gone? Where have all the where has all the money gone? I mean, why is it? I mean, other than of course the fact that yes, um, you know, yes, companies are are using cheap labor in other countries to produce products and so on. But besides that, where has all the money gone? Like, who is sitting on the money? Ah, uh, well, well so in some cases, the crony capitalist rich are sitting on the money, not necessarily in this country. What we've found from the few little glimpses of what the Federal Reserve Board does is all these bailouts, half the money from all the bailouts went overseas. They didn't go here. Uh, the euro is also on the verge of collapse, which could set a chain of dominoes toppling that could easily bring down the dollar. Uh but well, how does that also, we, we have an illusion. Money, how, how did half the money go to, out of this country? Because the Fed has operated in secrecy since 1913. Where did the money go? On the day that the Fed was brought into existence legally in 1913, a dollar was worth 100 cents. In purchasing power, today's dollar is worth about two pennies of what uh, you could of the purchasing power of a dollar in 1913. They have gradually, by inflation, just squeezed all the value out of it. Uh, since Richard Nixon broke the last link to gold that limited how many dollars politicians could print, he did that 40 years ago, last this August, this year, um, in 1971. 
what you could buy for a dollar in 1971 today would cost you $5.65 on average. Has your income gone up by 565% in the last 40 years? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the music again. Yes, it's uh, uh, <laughs> the fat lady is about to sing. Um <laughs> My guest, we're talking, we're talking about the financial situation of the world, particularly America. My guest is Lowell Ponte. He is a futurist. He is an expert, as you can obviously tell, on, uh, on finances, on, on the economy. You should be, you should be one of Obama's advisors. That's where you should be. His current book is The Inflation Deception, Six Ways Government Tricks Us and Seven Ways to Stop It. And the next segment, I'll tell you the telephone number you can call for, to get a free copy from him. Such a generous offer. And uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back. My guest is Lowell Ponte, an expert extraordinaire on the financial situation of the world, which um, <laughs> seems to be going down the tubes, as literally as we speak, um, what um, is there? Is there some candidate in particular so far that um, you are thinking of supporting, particularly in regard to his being uh, most likely to succeed in terms of fixing this monetary problem? Well, it's not that. As I say, I'm a libertarian, so I'm not terribly happy with either of them. I will say that on the Republican side. Ron Paul and Herman Cain are two candidates, and I almost Carol uh, uh, Bachman um, have advocated a return to the gold standard. Now, what would that mean? That would mean a return to honest money that could be a major step on the road back. The politicians, starting around the time of World War One and the advent of the Fed, wanted to go from gold as the world standard of money, which the U.S. dollar was a completely gold-backed uh, money at the time, meaning 
you never had any doubt about being repaid. You had a very stable medium through which countries could trade reliably with each other. No politician was able to manipulate the value of money by printing more of it, because if they did, they would immediately have to redeem the money in gold that they didn't have, and that would collapse the economy. So there were golden handcuffs keeping the politicians honest. The politicians in in an era of progressivism, back around World War I with Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson, both progressives, uh, wanted a system that allowed them to print all the money they wanted because they wanted to create a welfare state and they wanted to create uh, a unionized system. And both unions and welfare recipients have something in common. They don't readily take pay cuts. There always has to be more money to give them, Mm. especially since this money is being used to buy the votes in the elections of politicians. Mm. Uh, So the politicians wanted paper money knowing that it was phony, knowing that it was a manipulable form of wealth that would cause more and more inflation. They knew that even then. They know it with incredible clarity today. But we have both political parties, and especially one of them, Mr. Obama's party, that are big government parties that operate through things like class warfare and the rhetoric of class warfare, even though President Obama, oddly enough, these young student protesters who were attacking, say, Goldman Sachs for its greed and wealth, Goldman Sachs was the single biggest contributor to Barack Obama. Mm. It is a Democrat-oriented house that was also the the place from which the former governor of New Jersey, John Corzine, came, and others in the Obama administration came. So the young people really don't understand economics. They just know that something's wrong and that their future is being stolen from them, much as the Tea Party does. Uh, The difference is the Tea Party understands the problem is government. It's not the private sector. The private sector basically has a gun put to its head. For example, the way that... uh, under both Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, uh, the uh, loan industry had a gun put to its head, and banks were told, you are going to issue a trillion dollars of home mortgages to people who you know in advance will not be able to pay it back. Hmm. Or we will make your life very difficult. This was done under the Community Redevelopment Act. Uh, This kind of thing is now done all the time. So as Tom Honig, the retired head of the Fed in Kansas City, said, we're not really a capitalist society anymore. We're now a crony capitalist society that is closest in theoretical economics to fascism. See, uh, Mussolini and Hitler, evil and vile as they were, they were smarter than Karl Marx because they understood once you expropriate a company or an industry, you then can't collect tax on it anymore. It's now part Mm -hmm. of the government. Hitler was smart enough to say, I will take, for example, the weapons manufacturer Krupp, and I will tell them what to make, what to charge for it, uh, who to hire, what to pay their employees, and on and on and on. In other words, I will suck out of them everything that constitutes the meaning of private property. I will take over their company, but at the end of the day, I will leave them with a piece of paper saying they own it, and what they will pay for that piece Mm -hmm. of paper is a lot of taxes to me on top of my owning their property, Uh, whereas the Marxists believed in government expropriating the property. So it didn't get the taxes. In that sense, Hitler was actually smarter economically. Well, now a lot of what government does is de facto expropriation. 
of companies. The problem, though, is the rich, at least so far, still have the ability to pick up and leave. They still have the ability to move their money outside the United States in our political grasp. And accordingly, we are in the not-too-distant future looking at a world in which the government will have less and less money, but more and more people with their hands out. As I say, by the time the baby boom retires, you're going to have 60% of households in the U.S. getting a government check. Hmm. Who's going to pay that when the productive people have left? And what kind of society are you going to have where you've raised whole generations of people with the idea that they're just supposed to be given a job or given a living? Uh, this, this, This is not a healthy society we've created, but if we went back to real money, since the government uses inflation to carry out a lot of this manipulation as a form of secret taxation, income redistribution, and so on, uh, moving back toward honest money or the Friedrich Hayek, uh, an, an, a Nobel Prize winning economist of the free market variety, uh, if we have simple choice in currency, you know the left likes to say they're pro-choice, except not for schools, not for other things. Um, well, why shouldn't we be pro-choice with currency? Why do we all have to live with the government's monopoly currency here that it is constantly printing and, and inflating? Uh, well, I, I just want to go back to something that you said, though. Are you suggesting that um, the rich or the people who have been able to put their money outside the country are then, and, and the, manu- the manufacturers or the um, business people, are you saying that they are actually going to literally move outside the country? They're holding, remember, they're multinationals for the most part. They, uh, yes, that's true. They, they already are holding $2 trillion outside the country and not bringing it back in because we have the heaviest business taxes in the world. We also, by the way, have the most progressive tax system in the world in that we get about 45% of the wealth out of the rich people and what they own. No other country, not socialist Scandinavia, not communist China, they don't get that much. The tax yeah. burden on the rich is actually lower in communist China than it is well, here. Uh, what does that of tell us about the capitalism of America? They can afford it because uh, they, they know all the money, they, because they're going to own America soon, so they can afford to do that. Oh, I know, and, under, and understand what America is today, Carol. If you count the cost of government regulation and complying with it, that alone costs $1.8 trillion a year to private individuals and companies. What that means is the average American now works from January 1st until August 12th, far more than half of each year, just to pay the government. Mm. In that sense, we are all working for the government rather than yes, ourselves. Yes. That's, and, that's and a young very people, good point. And, young and, you know, it certainly has, I, I mean, I'm sure all, many of my listeners uh, know someone who is has really been terror is being terrorized or has been terrorized by the government in terms of you know looking over their taxes and um, you know trying to drain every last penny even if it's not really rightfully theirs if it wasn't actually uh, taxable. And the more I, successful I wanna... you are, the more you become that target for that. Yes. I, I do want to leave a little, um, the last couple of minutes to give out that telephone number again. My um, guest, Lowell Ponte, has generously offered, um, in the hopes of saving this country, to, um, to provide uh, complimentary, free uh, books, copies of his book, his latest book, called The Inflation Deception. 
six ways government tricks us and seven ways to stop it. I wish I were rich enough to give them away. It's actually my co-author, Craig R. Smith, and this is only for the first thousand callers. Okay. So so this show has a lot of listeners. If you want the free book, uh, postpaid, won't cost you a penny, call the toll-free number now. Don't wait. 800-630-1494. That's 800-630-1494. Again, as I say, it's not Columbus. It's not 1492-800-630-1494. We'll be happy to send you the free book, show you how you can, if nothing else, protect your own family, but also political and economic ways that we could undo where the country is now headed. Well, please, I encourage you all to call. And uh, and thank you, Lowell, so much. Um, I I I hope you. I wish you continued success in getting your message across because people have to wake up um, before it really is too late. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.